And when you do that, it, it's, you don't have to read these things deeply. It's not spending four hours a day reading news. It's just scanning the headlines. You just want to be scanning to be made aware of because you'll pick up patterns. And if you see somebody in Mexico writing about something, and then it comes up and it's in Malaysia, and then you see somebody in the Netherlands writing about the same thing, or you see a headline, you go, hang on a second, this, this is a pattern. It's not a once-off anomaly. Then you want to pay attention to it. Then you start to look. And then you discover that there is a trend that is growing. And, and whatever those trends are, um, you know, in your particular field, those, those trends will emerge, you'll identify them, you'll become more familiar with them, then you'll see more people talking about them. But the earlier you can identify it, the sooner you can find a way to respond to it. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests Explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm joined today uh, by a guest all the way from South Africa, and she is a futures alchemist. Uh, she's an international futures keynote speaker and workshop leader and works with brands around the world, helping leaders to get their teams on board with their futures plans. We've had guests like Graham Codrington, also from South Africa, uh, on the, the on the Connected Leadership podcast before, who are futurists. Uh, this, this, this whole area of understanding the world around us, understanding what is going on, and there are so many changes at the moment. And, and more importantly, not just understanding what is going on, but how it's going to impact your business and how you need to adapt to it uh, and really get ahead of trends is so important. Uh, and of course, I believe that the relationships you build, the network you build really factors into that. So it's a topic worth visiting again. Uh, and and really the focus I wanted to to, to shine uh, on, on the topic this time is how we differentiate or distinguish between long-term trends and short-term fads. How do we work out where we really need to be focused or what's just important in the moment but may not really impact our business in the long term? So I'm hoping our guest can shine a light on that for us and provide us with some answers. Uh, I'm sure she can. Um, so Charlotte, Charlotte Kemp, welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. Andy, thank you so much for the invitation. Now I'm going to um, I'm going to start with how I introduced you <laughs> because I said that you're a futures alchemist. Uh, we need to know exactly what that means, and and maybe you can also tell us a little bit more about what futurists do because I do use the term on the podcast now and then. We've interviewed people like Graham and other futurists as well, um, but not everyone has a futurist in their life. Uh, certainly not in their past. Ah. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us what do you mean by futures alchemist? Uh, what does a futurist do and where do you come from? Wow. All right. There's a lot to unpack in just that. Uh, let's start with the term futurist. Uh, some people think that a futurist is someone who can easily predict the future and they will ask foolish questions like, you know, what is happening with uh, these stocks or what's going to happen with Ukraine. And we, we can't predict the future as if we had a crystal ball. Uh, but there are lots of tools and methodologies to help us to prepare for whatever future is coming, as well as to work out how to influence the future. What, what agency do we have over what parts of our lives, what do we need to respond to in other parts? So there are professional futurists uh, like Graham and myself, 
uh, we're members of, of our various professional bodies. I'm a, a member of the Association of Professional Futurists. Uh, but I actually have the position that everybody is a natural futurist. Every human is. Uh, if you if you uh, have a business or a career and you've made plans for the future, you're a futurist. If you saved for your retirement, uh, if you happen to have children and you have invested in their education and worry about what job they're going to do in the future, you are a natural futurist. But we can become better, more intentional, more conscious futurists with some understanding. So futurists, uh, again, very broad field. There are some p- futurists who do deep uh, research. Uh, they can work with organizations and do research projects that span two or three years to create really robust scenarios that help them to influence their sector and to change you know, world history. Uh, and, and there is other work that, that gets done. My favorite work is to actually speak about futures, to bring this idea to people that in the past haven't had access to it. Because while it's a relatively new field, there have been futurists doing some significant work at government level and at multinational level for decades. Uh, But the man in the street, the everyday entrepreneur, the person who is trying to grow their business, they don't have access to this thinking. So there are a couple of people in the futures world who, uh, one of the phrases is they want to democratize foresight. Uh, I just make it even simpler and I say, let's bring futures thinking to everyone. But leaders need to have that futures thinking mindset so that they can, uh, you know, they're trying to create a future for their organization, uh, for their themselves. And then they need to be able to help their teams to come on board with those ideas and to prepare them so that they are future ready as well. So the alchemy part comes in with, uh, it, it's, a, it's a branding position. Uh, there isn't actually any qualification you can get to become a futures alchemist yet. But alchemy is that, that ancient proto-science where uh, they were playing around with different elements and different catalysts trying to turn one thing into something else. And we automatically think of trying to turn lead into gold. Uh, but the ancient fu- uh, alchemists were also looking at how to how to elevate themselves, how to tap into more conscious living, uh, how to transcend the limitations that they had in their own lives. And that's what I like to do. So I like to work with an organization. We we bring the, the models and the insight that I have with all the knowledge and, um, you know, everybody steeped in their own industry, in their own sector. We bring it together. Uh, we have a, add a touch of magic and you you create something new that transcends the circumstances of that organization. Thank you for, for for explaining that. And yeah, there was a lot to unpack there. Certainly, um, I, 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 it's easy for people like myself who know a lot of futurists come across the term, but aren't immersed in it, to think about what you might term macro trends. Mm. So when I think of a futurist, I'm thinking of uh, global warming. Mm. You know, what's the impact of global warming? What do I need to think about there? The pandemic is an obvious, um, an obvious one, and, and, and the hybrid working. You know, how's that going to uh, impact us going forward? The war in Ukraine, um, the, the, the 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 likely economic state of China, uh, which is an interesting one at the moment. Um, how much is it about those macro global stories and the impact and how much of it is just about understanding the trends in your industry, the trends in your business uh, and more micro level 
um, nuance changes and which have the bigger impact on us day to day? All right. Again, um, there, there's so much depth to that. When when a futurist talks to an audience for the first time, the, the two areas that most people seem familiar with is the concept of trends and the concept of scenarios, scenario planning. Uh, and and if and we say this is what we do, then people go, oh, okay, now we understand. Uh, but those are only two small elements of a full futures plan. Uh, and and if you like, I can share a very simple four-step model that will take you through everything that you need to know about futures thinking, uh, literally. Um, but trends is one of them, and it's, it's part of that very first step. So so we we need to understand what trends are. Uh, and, and the difference between trends and fads and, and uh, whether they're going to be bubbles or whether they're going to be kind of some classic timeless uh, change in our lives uh, that, that emerges. But we need to understand them to understand the impact, um, the potential impact on our organization, uh, on our own goals uh, for, the, for the future of our organization. And then we need to very essentially know how to respond. So knowing what the trend is, uh, is not the most important thing. Uh, it's whatever trend we're looking at, we, we want to actually find a way to respond. And <laughs> that is something that humans are actually not very good at doing. Uh, we, we like to know the data. We want to download a report. We want to get the top 10 trends in our industry. Um, and then we do a PowerPoint presentation on it. But very little thought is actually placed in what comes afterwards. How do we respond to that? Do we need to scale up? Do we need to change direction? Uh, and, and those are the, the deeper and more important questions. It's very easy uh, and, and it normally happens around year end or the beginning of the year for uh, people to the media, people who are writing blog posts to come up with, you know, the 10 trends we need to look at next year or the top three. Uh, and, you know, so, so the, the, the challenge would be go and, go and search, go and Google for, for your industry sector or for your part of the world, what trends are applying. Uh, but behind that, there are some kind of, um, thematic trends, uh, for example, uh, acceleration. Uh, the, the world is accelerating. So it doesn't matter whether you're talking about politics or technology or the environment, we're accelerating uh, in what is happening. And that exponential nature of the future uh, is what we need to address. Uh, so it's not necessarily the specific trend, but the, the kind of the theme behind it. Um, the other, another one is minimi minimalization. I should say that slower. Uh, we want to reduce, we want to reduce, some of us want to reduce, but we want to reduce waste and we want to reduce um, wasted time and we want to reduce um, the, the impact on the environment. And when we kind of identify those um, thematic trends behind the trends that we're seeing on the headlines, and then we have a better idea of how to respond. Okay, so, so what's the four-step plan? Okay, thank you. <laughs> the four-step plan, I love this because it doesn't matter what, uh, what, it doesn't matter which futurist you listen to or what you're focusing in on, it will fall into these four steps. Uh, the first one is that we need to gather intelligence. So we need to have these conversations, understanding trends, understanding terminology, uh, looking for what is relevant to our industry, uh, looking at what models are available to us so that we can prepare. That's step one, gather intelligence. Step two is manage change. Uh, change is going to be inevitable. As humans, we, uh, we think that we don't like change. Uh, it's very easy to just talk about people resisting change, but there's really good uh, insight and, and really good uh, information about how to deal with change. Uh, 
And a leader who is wanting to drive change needs to understand how their team will respond to that change. Um, as humans, we don't like change imposed on us. Uh, we like change to come from us. So a leader, if they can work with their team to help get the team to help to co-create the plan for the future, that change will be far easily uh, you know, responded to. So step two is, is managing change. Step three is describing the future. And this is the fun part. Uh, this is the scenario planning. This is uh, visioning exercises. Uh, this is uh, any science fiction that you might enjoy. It's all describing potential futures. And then we look at those futures and say, yes, we want to have that future or no, we do not want to go in that direction. And then we've got to make plans to respond to that uh, uh, described potential future. And then our fourth step, uh, as with any good uh, business plan or model, is we've got to test our strategy. Um, and there's good models to do that. But essentially, you, you're creating a plan or a business plan for potential multiple scenarios. And then you almost kind of wind tunnel it, you, you, you practice it, you uh, you play it out uh, in, in kind of scenario planning games and you see whether it's going to be relevant. Will it work? Uh, is this what we want to do? Or what do we need to change now to make sure that we're going in a different direction in the future? So those four steps, gather intelligence, manage uh, change, describe the future and test your strategy. You, you can sit down with those four steps and start your, your very first futures plan this afternoon. So, you know, obviously the, the, the premise of the podcast is that our professional relationships are key in our success as leaders and aspiring leaders. When I look at those four steps, I can see that you need people around you to make that, that really happen effectively. Gathering intelligence is, is the most obvious one. Um, you know, what are other people thinking? What are other people experiencing? How do other people see uh, things panning out? Uh, managing change also very much to the fore in terms of taking your team along with you, which has been the theme of two of the last uh, four uh, Connected Leadership podcasts. So we've got the conversations that back Good. that up in, in, in the recent back catalogue. Um, and I, I guess to, to a large degree, describing the future as well, you're doing that and you're testing these strategies with other people involved. Um, so is this something that is done collaboratively better than it is done individually? Uh, and and how important is your the network you build personally as a leader, the people around you at peer level, compared to the experts we see on television and in the newspaper? Can you can you create a an effective, powerful future plan uh, purely by focusing on on what's in the the key journals, key newspapers on the television, or or is your personal network going to elevate that? Mm, lovely. So. First of all, yes, uh, this is a collaborative plan. We co-create the future. Uh, if we are creating a future just for ourselves uh, or just for our in-group uh, or for our circle of concern, uh, we're creating a very narrow future. And I try not to be too judgmental. Uh, I, I, want, I want people to be able to explore their own values and how they express the future, but, but I will make this judgment. If we create a future that serves just the small group of people and ignores other people, uh, it's a selfish, bad, poor future. Uh, we, we can do better than that. Humanity can do better than that. So we need to co-create the future. We need to have these conversations. Uh, and, and that is where that, that those uh, relationships come in and are so important. Uh, it's very easy for us to, uh, 
you know, create those professional relationships with people who are like us, who agree with us, who think the same. Uh, and we have to be incredibly intentional about building professional relationships with people outside of our circles. Uh, we need to be challenged in our thinking and in our assumptions and in our biases um, on so many levels. So I, I'll tell you one thing that, that I did, um, and it was it, it kind of it was actually intentional to do it this way. But I, I put on open webinars, uh, as many people do. But part of the the motivation of my webinar was uh, to not just to share what I was talking about and what I wanted to market to people, but it was to intentionally invite people into that that uh, webinar, into that conversation, who were different from me. So my first step was I went onto LinkedIn. And I found people who were kind of in the field that I was interested in talking to, and I connected with them all over the world. So I'm here in South Africa, but I'm intentionally connecting with people in Europe and Asia and uh, uh, Southern America, Latin America, and trying to bring them into, into my um, circle. And then when I have the conversations and we start talking about something, when we get to the Q&A part and everybody is contributing, we're hearing opinions from people in different parts of the world. And my most a splendid moment was having a conversation about personal values. And there was a Muslim man from Pakistan in the conversation agreeing with somebody from Mexico uh, about something. And I'm going, this, this is what it's all about. It's, uh, it's finding that commonality that we share, understanding uh, the values that are shared and understanding and respecting the values and the opinions and the perspectives that we don't share. That we, we can't do that unless we're having those conversations. It's very easy to look at people outside of our bubble and say, oh, well, they're different from us and they're wrong. Uh, but they have some very, very valid reasons for believing what they do. And we cannot create a, a suitable future unless we're having that conversation. So when we rely on social media, when we rely on the headlines, uh, we're going to be served up what the algorithms think we should be hearing what, because it agrees with us. So if I go online and I search for something, I'm going to, I'm going to have my values reinforced, my perspectives reinforced by what's online, whether it's media or um, YouTube videos or TikTok algorithms, it's going to serve me what I already believe. And somebody who believes something very differently from me on the same platforms will be served what they believe. And we won't know that there's a difference unless we as humans kind of circumvent the algorithm and start those professional relationships on purpose. We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. I, I, lo I love everything you've said there, and any regular listeners will know how much that would have resonated with me. Um, we, we might be going slightly off topic, but, but in terms of, of, of trends and fads, mm -hmm. but, but probably not actually. Uh, but, but what you've just said really automatically brings to mind uh, the, the Brexit rows, and I'm, I was going to call it debates, but it wasn't a debate. That's part of the problem. But the, the Brexit arguments yeah. in the UK in 2016 that still carries on, uh, you look at the US and you look at the, the 
gulf between mm. Republicans and Democrats in the US now. Uh, you look at France, you look at what's happening in Italy at the moment. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd spent three very happy months in South Africa in the 90s. So I've always kept an eye on what's going on there. And, and that's never really settled down into political anything resembling a political homogeneity either. Um, so I think if we look around the world, we really are in a place where we have arguments, not debates. We have conflict, not discussion. Um, and, and that is really getting to the root of how we see the future. It wasn't just Brexit in the UK, but globally it was the pandemic and, and whether you lock down and whether you don't, whether you wear a mask, whether you don't, whether you vaccinate, whether you don't, it, climate change denial and, and so forth has been going on for quite a while now. Uh, and, and you can look at every substantial change, uh, every major trend, every major, um, shift in what's happening in the world politically uh, or geographically, whatever it might be, there are two distinct camps. How do we change that? And that's the, I, wow. I, I know that's an incredibly <laughs> tough question, but, but I know that's an incredibly tough question. I know that's the, the multi-billion dollar question, but where would you start? What, what can, can we do at a, at a human yeah. level at a, you know, th th those of us who aren't global leaders, what can we do just to encourage a little shift uh, in, in that environment? It, it, it's an essential question because the most shocking thing you discover is having a casual conversation with a friend you've had for years or a family member, and it's suddenly dawning on you that their political position is, you know, exactly opposite yours. And you go, how have we known each other all these years and not realised that this was a thing. And, and the problem with this polarization that we're experiencing at the moment um, is that um, we're driven to extremes. There's, there's no space for middle ground. And if somebody tries to take middle ground, they're, they're mocked from both sides. Um, so they, they need to take a position. And, and some people are reveling in that, uh, in, in that extreme. Um, I mean, I, I've been called names by family members. Um, they've gleefully labeled me. And I'm getting really, you know, um, I'm, I'm part of the family. I'm not, I'm not just a label. Uh, but, but, you know, that polar, so there are two trends happening at the same time, uh, which is quite interesting. And I don't know how they reconcile, but there is that polarization. And we see, like you said, politics, economics, um, uh, religion. Um, and at the same time, there's a very strong trend. Uh, it, and it's not in the headlines and it's not in the political spaces, but there's a very strong trend for collaboration, for finding the essential values that we share and respecting the differences. And in South Africa, obviously, that's something we've, we've had to deal with, we've had to wrestle with. So maybe just to run it back a little bit to, uh, you know, the futures thinking part. Back in the 90s, uh, obviously, South Africa was under an apartheid government. And there was a futurist called Clem Sunter who worked very uh, well with a whole bunch of uh, politicians, religious leaders, uh, traditional leaders. And they, uh, he and, and, and their teams uh, ran a series of scenarios. And they came up with two scenarios for the country. And it was called the low road and the high road. And it was such a simple analogy that they brought it back to everyday conversations. So if a white person bumps into a black person and there's this moment of tension between them, both of them are thinking, in this moment, we're choosing either the low road or the high road. 
we're going to react against each other and it's going to be the wrong decision. But if we want our country to get out of this place peacefully, to, to actually make this transition, I need to choose the high road. I need to choose this. And I'm hoping the other person does as well. Uh, and, and that conversation, I remember thinking that in, in, you know, back in those days and, and challenging myself about the assumptions that I, I was having, um, the assumptions that had been taught to me by school and government and church um, about what was happening. So, so we, ha- we have to challenge it. So I think it's, it's an individual decision for each person um, to that, 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 that courageous step to not assume that everything that they believe is right or the best way to do things, uh, to assume that the other person has something of value and to initiate their conversation so that we can explore it. And and if we have a scenario or if we have an analogy that we can use uh, to remind ourselves of that, then that's worthwhile. And a good scenario plan, a good futures plan for an organization would be to put that into the common uh, language that everybody will be using that analogy to choose to overcome the polarization, to find that, to to create that middle ground, to co-create it so that we have something to work on. And that's going to be the best way to create a good, inclusive future. So when uh, when Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high, she should have actually said, when they go low, we go high and try and take them with us. Oh, that's good. That would be good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, you might have found it very difficult, yeah. but yes, uh, you know, it is extending that because if you take a different road to each other, you're still divided. Yes. Um, uh, okay. So you, you, you touched on, um, you touched on trends a few times, you touched on fads and, and I did make that the theme of this discussion. So let's dig into mm. that a little bit more. Um, how do we distinguish between long-term trends and short-term fads? Uh, and how do we factor that into our planning? Um, because obviously when you're, when something comes up, with something like climate change, you know it's going to be long term. Um, but a lot of other things, you don't know when they first happen. So how do you, how can you tell, well, is this something we really need to focus yeah. on? Or is this going to pass? All right. So there, there's a couple of uh, ways of approaching it. With, with FEDs, we see them arriving quickly on the scene. So like, and, and it's really interesting when you, when you search for fads online, um, half of the images are fidget spinners <laughs> uh, because it was just like, <laughs> you know, day one, there weren't any fidget spinners. Day two, your children wanted fidget spinners because everyone at school had them. Um, and by day five, the uh, shops that had them had these you know, barrels of fidget spinners that nobody wanted to buy anymore. So it came quickly and then it faded away. Uh, so that, that is a fad. It, it is important to know that fads can be used well. Um, business can tap into a fad a, as a marketing uh, tactic or um, they can create a product. A fast fashion will tap into a fad if there's a, I don't even want to say their names, but if there's a famous person on a stage doing something, wearing something unusual, uh, within a couple of weeks, they will be in the stores for everybody to be to be buying. And just a few weeks later, they're gone and to be replaced with something else. Uh, fast fashion has its own uh, issues. Um, but yeah, they, they make a good business study no matter which side of the fast fashion you're looking at. But, but that is a, a fad. So you, you, can, you can use it. You can make money in it. But a trend is something that, that emerges, that you become aware of, that grows, and that you hear about from, from different places. So 
we talked already about our, our bubbles in terms of the, the news and the information we have or the people that we connect with. If we want to overcome that, we need to very intentionally subscribe to sources of information outside of our bubble. So uh, what, what I often recommend people is, is a, a technique called comparative reading. So if you're reading uh, something on one side of the political aisle, or if you believe that, then read a book or subscribe to a newspaper or newsletter on the other side. You need to have both sides. If you're in a small business, look at what big multinationals are doing. Uh, if you're in a nonprofit business, look at what government is doing. So you're actually like intentionally looking outside of even your, your, your type of business. Um, and if you're in one part of the world, subscribe to things in other parts of the world. And when you do that, it, it's, you don't have to read these things deeply. It's not spending four hours a day reading news. It's just scanning the headlines. You just want to be scanning to be made aware of because you'll pick up patterns. And if you see somebody in Mexico writing about something and then it comes up and it's in Malaysia and then you see somebody in the Netherlands writing about the same thing or you see a headline, you go, hang on a second, this, this is a pattern. It's not a once-off anomaly. Then you want to pay attention to it. Then you start to look. And then you discover that there is a trend that is growing. And, and whatever those trends are, um, you know, in, in your particular field, those, those trends will emerge, you will identify them, you'll become more familiar with them, then you'll see more people talking about them. But the earlier you can identify it, the sooner you can find a way to respond to it. Uh, and, and that's that's essential uh, difference between it. You could also think of trends being your, your kind of strategy of your business. You want to respond strategically to, uh, to trends, but you're going to have tactics to deal with fads uh, because they're going to be short-term and have a shorter-term impact and you're going to have forgotten about them after a couple of months. And I know you talk about counter trends as well. So where does that come Well, that's from? lovely. Uh, a lot of people come and say, you know, um, help us to understand what the trend is because we have to do what the trend says. But you, you just find this reluctance in some people like, I know that this is a trend, but I don't want to be like this. My, my values, the way I want to express myself or the business model that we have or the product that we have, maybe it's more kind of a, a heritage product or a, a luxury product and everybody wants to go fast fashion and, and there's this disconnect and, and they, they feel like they have to do what the trend says. But part of the value of understanding the trend, doing a trend analysis, is seeing what the trend does and then finding the counter trend. You can define the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. So when everybody is um, going back to the office, when everybody is going online, when everybody is um, embracing fast fashion, you can do the exact opposite. And, and it's... Um, it's a, it's a unique creative space that you get to create. And as long as you can define it well and, and position yourself properly and market it, you will find a market for it. Uh, we got almost 8 billion people on the planet. There is a market for your counter trend, uh, even if everybody else is, is going in the opposite direction. So it's a lovely way for, for businesses to create um, new markets, different markets, um, and, and, and find something that is unique and special about them that uh, sets them apart from everybody else doing what everybody else is doing. So what would be really nice to know, if it's okay to ask you, is if you've got a couple of examples where you've worked with clients where maybe one where they've really seen a trend, seen um, uh, the way things are likely to go and been able to catalyze it to, uh, on it to a major degree, 
and, and also uh, an example where they've 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 taken the counter position and been very successful in that. And I'm stringing that wow. on you, <laughs> but I'm hoping you've got a couple of couple of examples which you might be able to share just to bring it to life, even if yeah. you can't name the, the client. Well, uh, one is actually um, a professional speaker that I knew some years ago, and. Uh, in, in terms of, of speaking, we're all learning um, you know, with, with COVID and lockdowns, we, we were all kind of stuck at home. So we had to find uh, and embrace all the technologies. And some people went big and they built studios in their homes and others went kind of uh, as low tech as possible. But we had to be online in order to still communicate. And, and this might not have worked for this person during this time. But while everybody is, is learning the technology and creating these um, uh, uh, you know, places, uh, training rooms, and auditorium to uh, to do all the fancy stuff that we expect. We want to be entertained when we're listening to a professional speaker. Uh, so it's not just the content; it's the whole environment. And this person um, <laughs> did her leadership training outside under a tree at night, uh, and she decided just kind of creating a disconnect from from the expectation of of what is to be learned. And taking them outside and doing something like that um, allowed her her to really connect with people in a very very different way um, from from how everybody else doing that same kind of work was. So you know you can just imagine at night the stars are out, you're hearing the birds. Um, our, our, all of our perceptions are changed, and she created magical moments and a really good reputation for herself doing that. Uh, so that's one example. Um, and for the life of me, I can't think of another one right now. <laughs> but but there would be many. I mean, just you, you look at the kind of uh, we're trying to produce fast food, and uh, you know I, I'm a terrible cook, so I like to go and look at all the um, the, the pre cooked frozen meals that I can just heat up. Um, but there's lots of places that really embrace slow food. I mean, they call themselves slow food markets, and you go there and you are told to sit and wait for your food because it's not going to be fast because it's going to be good and it's made there with love and, and expression. So, um, you know, anything like that fashion where, where somebody is making clothes for you uh, as opposed to buying off the, off the rack. Um, that's just an example of somebody finding their, their, their niche, um, a place where they can express their genius or their creativity in a way that is different from how everyone else is, is trying to do it. Great, thank you. I'm sorry to spring that on you. It just sort of felt that's that you know it would be interesting to see, and I do I love that uh, example of the uh, the speaker taking everything outside at night and reconnecting with nature mm. rather than all the technology that we're surrounding ourselves with at the moment, myself included, of course. Um, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Uh, we talk we've talked um in, in a fairly broad sense about the, the topic of trends the topic of fads we've touched on some of the the things that might be considered from the, the geopolitical areas to things like fast fashion the, the question everyone has talked about is whether we're moving to a hybrid working space working from home and so forth do you think that is going to be the biggest shift in what we need to think about in terms of uh, running businesses and organizations over the next few years um or what is it that we're not thinking about that's going to have a big impact on us over the next decade yeah. or so no, it, it, it's it's undoubtedly an important topic uh and and there has been a lot of disruption and things aren't settling down uh, there are arguments on both sides about going back to work or not going back to work or creating hybrid and everyone wants to talk about the the great resignation and people are trying to find new ways of expressing. So I, I, at the moment, this is just 
um, we're kind of like in flux. There is so much going on and things um, things are not going to settle down to normal. Uh, there is no normal. There is just a different way of expressing things around the world. So the, the questions we should be asking is what does it look like for my industry or for my uh, part of the world? And, and then you get different answers. So one of the things that I talk about a, a great deal here in South Africa is that what we experience in Africa is vastly different from what people experience in Europe, um, in Asia, in North America. And, and we need to find new ways of expressing that. So it's, it's very easy for somebody in South Africa, somebody in Kenya to go and search for trends and say, oh, it looks like this about going back to work or going hybrid. But our experiences and the expression of that in Africa is vastly different. So, so the, the, the first question is, what does it look like in our part of the world? I had a conversation with someone yesterday who was talking about this. He actually runs, uh, he, he trains teams on, on working hybrid or working virtual. And he was talking about a program in Portugal where they, the government is actually trying to get people to go back to certain smaller towns because those towns are emptying out. Uh, there's not enough population there. So how do they get those people to go back there? So the government is running a program to ensure, first of all, good internet connectivity in the small towns, in the rural areas. If, they, if it's not there, then it, the plan won't work. So once that is in place, the infrastructure, then the next thing is to actually encourage or incentivize or offer tax breaks for companies that will allow their employees to move back to their home villages and to work remotely because that makes sense in Portugal. In other parts of the world, it's going to make more sense to have people in the cities. Um, but as the shift happens, the questions will be, you know, in this city, what will happen if most people move away uh, into, into more rural places? In Africa, we find a lot of migrant workers moving into the cities, hoping that there are jobs that there aren't for them. And a lot of more um, uh, people who've got their own businesses or are remote workers moving out of the cities in Africa to the rural areas where we have got good connectivity, because now they're surrounded by nature and uh, they can still connect with people anywhere in the world. Uh, and I've got two colleagues here who work for employers, uh, one in uh, the UK and one in, in the States, uh, because that they now have those options. Uh, when we look at other kinds of industries, what does it look like if um, I, I dealt with a, a, a school group, uh, independent private schools here in South Africa, and they were uh, it's an association and they're all members of this association, but technically they're in competition with each other. And when we started exploring it, it wasn't that they were only in competition with each other. They were in competition with any good school anywhere in the world where parents who had the facilities would be able to take their family to live where that school is. And those parents could still work for their employers anywhere um, in the world. So there's a, it kind of breaks down to a whole lot of questions we should be asking rather than just automatic assumptions about what this will look like. But absolutely, certainly, we now have the opportunity to, to work anywhere in the world from wherever we are in the world if we're in the right sector. Uh, and, and that means that employers need to be a lot more savvy about uh, how they're offering benefits uh, to their employees. And it's not just the benefit of the, the canteen and the yoga on the roof um, after work because those people could be experiencing that somewhere else in the world. And how can those employers cater for that and attract the best kind of talent? 
I was recently on a panel for another podcast. They did a live broadcast uh, or live recording of the podcast with a panel discussion on uh, the future of work and, and, and whether working from home was a good thing. And when they came to me, um, I just railed against all the answers I've heard to this question and the question itself being binary. Yes. Are we going to work from the office or are we going to work from home? Is it good? Is it bad? So thank you very <laughs> much for not making it a binary answer. And I think that perhaps with a lot of things, uh, and it's not something that we've talked about yet, but with a lot of things in terms of future trends and future planning, we we look at them from a binary mm. perspective. This goes back to all of those arguments rather than discussions mm. in the world at the moment. Climate change is real. Climate change is, is not uh Brexit is good, Brexit is bad, whatever it might be. Everyone takes a binary position, black or white. And there are so many shades of grey on all of these things. Uh, and, and that, I guess, has to come into all of your future planning yeah. and, and, and trend spotting as well, doesn't it? Uh, so thank you very much for that, Charlotte. I have, um, I'm now going to test, and you don't know oh. about this, I am going to test your, 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 your forecasting skills. <laughs> Um, because we have a rather unique opportunity to do this. So we are recording this about 10, 11 days ahead of uh, publication, and there's a particular reason for that, and that is that I'm off next week because I'm going to the Commonwealth Games. Um, so this will come out on the Monday. I will have been at the boxing last night, the um, the, the heavyweight uh, uh uh, gold medal bouts and so forth i will have been at the athletics on thursday and i will have been at england versus south africa <laughs> in the t20 women's cricket on tuesday at the commonwealth games so <laughs> who's going to win the cricket who's going to win the cricket who's going to who's going to uh, win in the medal table between um england and south africa <sighs> And who are we looking out for from South Africa? If you, wow. I don't know how well you know your sports. Okay. <laughs> well, apparently our ladies soccer team is doing very well. So I'm just going to have to assume that our ladies uh, cricket team is going to do it as yes, well. They, so, yes. Well, actually, we, we well, the it's Bafana Bafana is the men's yes. team. It's a similar yes. name, but I can't remember what it is for the ladies team. They won the African um, uh, tournament, yes. didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and England are in the final. Uh, of the Europeans, uh, <laughs> as we speak. By the time this goes out, people will know that Good. we've won. So, okay, so, so I'm, you're putting South, South Africa, Africa going to win yes. in the cricket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have very resilient okay. people in in uh, in Africa, and uh, and sport obviously is a lovely way to uh, to express that. And to uh, there's there's an enthusiasm for sport in this country uh, that uh, really unites people. So, yeah, we're going to have to vote for our people. To win. <laughs> it's a very well I mean I know from my time there and, and yeah. from the many friends I've got from South Africa that it's a very sports obsessed yes. country um, but I still think we'll win on the cricket okay we'll, uh, see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see um, and we're going to see each other for the yes. first time in a, a quite a few years actually when I last came to yeah. South Africa was the last time we saw each other in person but we're both speaking at the same conference in Dublin at the end of September yes. so it's a good opportunity to plug Thank that you. so we're both speaking at the Global Speakers Summit uh, in Dublin 29th of September to the 2nd of October uh, I'm delighted to be delivering a keynote talk there on vulnerable leadership um, Charlotte what are you uh, speaking about when you're uh, there? Exponential thinking for exponential times what a great yes. title. And um, can you give us a, a two-sentence uh, yep. uh, overview of what, what the talk is? So um, 
Peter Diamandis, uh, who is a far more famous futurist than I am, uh, but he talks about we used to live in a local and linear world. So we knew everybody in our town, in our bubble. And, uh, you know, next week is going to be like last week, just a little bit better. Uh, and we now, not even in the future, but we right now live in an exponential and global world. And we have to get our, our minds around the, the pace of change in this world. Otherwise, we will not be able to keep up. And, and we talked already about the binary notion. If, if we think in terms of quantum instead of binary, we, we start to challenge our brains with what is actually possible. And as speakers, we, we need to be those thought leaders helping our, our audiences and our clients. Uh, so we need to make sure that we ourselves are uh, thinking exponentially and thinking um, ahead, uh, beyond what is already happening, so that we can actually offer value to our clients and our audiences. Fantastic. Well, I really look forward to that session. Um, if anyone's interested in coming along, it is an open event. It's the Global Speakers Summit. So it, it, it it's attended by uh, some of the top speakers from around the world. I've seen uh, some of the people who have said they're coming are really the icons of our profession. Um, we've got some phenomenal speakers, um, including the two yes. of us, <laughs> uh, uh, over the four days uh, of the event. Um, and it will be a very inspirational event. It will be focused on the speaking profession, um, but I would recommend it for anyone who really is interested in, in what's going on in the world and getting some phenomenal inspiration. The website is GSS, that's GSS for Global Speakers Summit 2022.com. Um, so go and yes. have a look and uh, come and say hi if you're there. And Charlotte, I'm really looking forward to that session. Okay. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to many more in the yes. future. Thank you very much, Andy. So thank you so much to Charlotte for joining me. Uh, it, it, it's great to be able to dig more deeply into uh, this topic of futurism because I think that the name of it almost puts it outside the scope of most people and what Charlotte managed to do there is say no actually everyone's a futurist and I, I really like that um, you know that, that positioning of it that it's not just for specialists who analyze all the data and all the figures yes they're out there and, and, and um, we, we, we can we can turn to them for help but we're all in a position um, to, to get the information we need um, to be able to predict what we need to do going forward uh, and, and our network is key to help us do that. We've got to be having those conversations. We need to get out of those thought bubbles, uh, make sure, and, and I, I keep going on about cognitive diversity on these podcasts. It, it's come through again in, in today's conversation. Um, but we can all be futurists, and it's really important that we make the effort to do so. Um, so uh, I look forward uh, to you joining me again on a future uh, episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Can you see what I did there? Um, and keep listening. It's the perfect holiday listening. Subscribe, share it, tell other people, and join me again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.